Happy Sunday, everybody. How we feeling? You guys okay this morning? <clears throat> yeah, good to be together again. I know it's a holiday weekend, right? So a lot of people traveling this weekend, a lot of people headed all over the place. I'm grateful that we can still gather uh, together. Um, for anybody that, that's newer, for folks joining us online um, this morning, welcome. Uh, my name's Steve Vanden. I'm one of our pastors. I'm glad for the opportunity to join together, and, um, and we're going to continue today our series in the book of Colossians that we're calling Christ in You, and really this is just a series that we are walking through verse by verse, uh, the book of Colossians, as the Apostle Paul is teaching us about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what it means and looks like uh, for us to then have life in him, what it means for Christ to be in us. And so we're going to actually be looking at Colossians chapter 2 uh, together. But, but before we, we get into this, I just want to say something because I believe it matters to the heart of God and, and is important for us as his church. Um, most of you know that like our country's been pretty crazy. The culture's been a little bit uh, crazy. And, and, and a lot of, there's a lot that's been happening even in the church itself in, in response to the recent Supreme Court decision about Roe v. Wade, where they you know, took away federal protection for abortions and handed that off to the states to decide for themselves. And, and naturally, there's been a lot of emotions and feelings around this. For some people, there's been, there's been anger and sadness and, and hurt and fear and, and concern. And, and for some, it's kind of been a sigh of relief. For some, it's been joy. Right? Uh, there's a lot of different thoughts that are out there, a lot of opinions, there's protests going there, all, all kinds of things. Right? But, but when it comes to this issue of life, God is not indifferent towards it. Rather, he is the author of it. And from the earliest pages of the scriptures... We learn about a life-creating God who forms life with his very hands and breathes life into mankind. We learn that this life-giving God creates life in his image and in his likeness with purpose and worth and value and, and dignity and significance. And, and from there forward, through the pages of Scripture, Old Testament and New, they affirm this truth. The God of the, the Bible is unapologetically pro-life. Not, not talking about pregnancy. I'm talking about in every stage of life, from the, from the womb to the tomb and even into eternity. That's why he calls it eternal life. We then, as the church as the sons and daughters of God who have been called to be his ambassadors, given a mandate to represent our Father and his love and his grace and his truth and his character and his ways, right, to our world, find ourselves here in this really unique moment in history. And the truth is, is there may be some of you in this room who are really happy about the decision. There may be some of you in this room who, who aren't. I, I, for me, I believe that was a good and right decision. Maybe you disagree. That's okay. But the decision has been made. The, the, the real 
question that I want us to be able to address together is what will we do, church, in response? What will we do to represent God's love for people and his heart for life in in meaningful and tangible ways? And so so here's what I want to do. I I want to extend to you an invitation if you're interested. And and my wife and I, we're going to open up our house this Friday to begin a conversation. And so if this is of interest to you, I want to invite you to come and be a part of this. If not, then we're going to, this isn't going to be the only time, but I want to begin this conversation. You're welcome to, to come and just share your heart and share your, share your thoughts and feelings and all, all that kind of thing. But we want to set aside some time to, to pray. We want to set aside some time to just talk about what can we do as the people of God to love people like God does, to minister to them in meaningful ways. What are some practical steps that we can take as the church to represent our Father? So I want to invite you to that. You don't have to come. Maybe, maybe for you, that's not even, that's not on your radar. Maybe you're super passionate about it. It's okay, wherever you are, just want to invite you. See what God will do in our midst. So I want to just pray for us this morning. Um, I want to invite the Lord into this word, ask God to just lead and guide and direct us. So if you guys would pray with me, Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that you tell us that your word is living and active. God, that that your word always accomplishes its purpose. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we open your word, God, that you would speak to us. God, that you would give us ears that are open to hear from you, God, that you would give us a heart that's open to receive of you, that we'd experience, encounter you, God, right here in this moment by your word. God, thank you that it's not a mistake that we're here. Lord, that you saw this day coming long before this day ever arrived. You knew we'd be in this place listening to this word. And God, that you have something to speak to our hearts. God, help us to hear you. Help us to receive of you. God, have your way in our time. God, minister, I pray your truth to every heart today. Give you this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible this morning, you can open it up to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at the last eight verses uh, together, uh, which starts in verse 16. And it says this. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The substance, however, is found in Christ Jesus. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual Indulgence. Now, 
If you remember, if you've been following along in Colossians, then, then, then you know this is a letter that is written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Colossae. Uh, it's a newer church plant that was founded by and is being pastored by a, a man named Epaphras who had gone and visited the Apostle Paul in prison to let him know about the condition of this church and how it's being threatened in, in some ways by cultural and religious influences that are not in line with the truth of the gospel. And, and so Paul is writing to this church to help encourage them and for them to have clarity about Christ and their identity in him. He wants to help them grow and mature in their understanding and faith. And so Paul says in verses six and seven, he says uh, earlier, he says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Essentially, like this is the goal of believers. Okay, like this is what we want. This is what the Christian life is meant to look like. It's not like us just saying, no, 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 I, I, I say that I had received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, right? It's having a life that is continually lived in him and for him and with him. It's having uh, that, that life that's rooted in the truth of the gospel, built up in Christ, strengthened in our faith in him and full of gratitude and thanksgiving in response to him and what he's done. It's all Jesus is really what Paul's saying. And so now here in our text, the Apostle Paul, he's going to address three counterfeits, three spiritual counterfeits to our faith and the gospel of grace that the church was facing. And what I appreciate about the Apostle, Apostle Paul here is that, that he doesn't just like throw out some names of groups doing this teaching and, and who their leaders are, uh, because the Apostle Paul knows, as the Bible teaches us, that there's nothing new under the sun. Right, so that so that, that the names of groups and the names of leaders are going to change, but the same philosophies and the same ideologies are going to continue from generation to generation, and are just as applicable for us today. My guess is is that as we look at these, you've either seen some of this in the church, you've experienced some of this yourself, or maybe you've wrestled with some of this in your own life. And so Paul begins with this great statement in verse 16. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you. We like that one, yeah. Do not let anyone judge you. Now, now that word therefore is really important, right? Because it's pointing us backwards. This is Paul telling us that, listen, everything I'm about to tell you is in response to all the things I've just told you. So, so, so let me refresh your memory a little bit here about what Paul has said. He's saying, listen, in light of the fact that the gospel has come to you and is growing and bearing fruit in you. In light of the fact that you've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints, in light of the fact that you've been delivered from darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the, his beloved son he loves, in light of the fact that you have redemption in him, the forgiveness of sins, in light of the fact that the record of your debt was nailed to the cross of Christ, in light of the fact that peace with God has been made by the blood of Jesus, in light of the fact that you've been reconciled to God by his sacrifice, in light of the fact that you've been spiritually circumcised in the heart and set apart for God, in light of the fact that you've been buried with Christ, in baptism and raised to new life through faith in him. And in light of the fact that you have been made alive together with him, do not let anyone judge you. Just, just let that sink in for a minute. 
let someone, don't let someone determine the state of your heart and your salvation. Don't, don't let some religious person put you in a box based on your external activities and behavior. Don't let that define you. And the first counterfeit that Paul addresses here is, is something called legalism, okay? He says, don't let anyone judge you. And what does he say? By what you eat or drink or by a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. He says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The substance, however, is found in Christ. Paul, Paul says here, listen, when it comes to spiritual matters, there are shadows and there is substance. And we shouldn't conflate the two. And two of the shadows that, that Paul speaks to is diet and days. Okay, so in, in Judaism, in the, the book of Leviticus outlines these dietary restrictions, things that you should eat and not eat and drink and not eat and, or drink and when you should do those things. It outlines the different feasts and, and festivals that the Jews were supposed to observe as holy days. One was this new moon celebration. It was a monthly celebration. The people were to consecrate themselves unto God, right? They, were to, 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 they would feast. They would blow trumpets. It was this whole thing, right? The Sabbath day, most of us are familiar with, is every, this weekly day of observing, um, of rest and devotion to the Lord. And all these things were fine things, right? They're not bad things, uh, but there were some religious people coming into the church and judging the church according to their participation in these things, okay? Judging them by how they did these things or didn't. And so for the Jews, you have to remember, like they didn't have the 10 commandments. They had the 10 commandments and then they added 603 other ones, okay? And, and some of these were given by God, but many of these were just rules made by men, man's rules, okay, that were sort of designed to help them guard them against falling into sin for these other things. And so life was pretty much determined by how many of these rules that you kept. They were like the measuring stick, okay? It was how you measured your success and your righteousness. It's also how you judged other people, right? So, so you'd be like, hey, you know, Jazz, I, I, you know, I keep about 550 of these, right? Like, what, what's your number? And you're like, oh, I might about 350. Oof, ooh. ouch, 350, right? Like, like, like it's how we measured, right? And, and all the while, they're missing the whole point. That, that their rules and their religious duties, that, that what God wants is a heart after him. Heart that loves him, not some self-righteous rule-keeping Right? Or, so, or so, just going through some religious motions. So, so, so for us today, this would be like, like equating going to church with having a growing relationship with Jesus. And the reality is, right, and we know this, you can show up to church every single week, right, without ever really being present with the Lord or available to him. Right? But, like you can be in the room you, you can be hearing a, a message, but you're not really here. You're, you're, you're actually still at home. You're still at your job. You're, you're still some other place you'd rather be. You're scrolling your phone for like what's happening in the moment and social media and whatever else. You can sing the songs. You can actually sing the songs, but, but, but it's more karaoke than connection. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ever been there? You, someone can pray, and, and, and you can even say amen at the end of that, but you actually have no idea what they said because you were just going through, like, your list of groceries you're going to pick up later. This is what Jesus was getting at with the Pharisees in Matthew 5.18 when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
God wants your heart, not your religious motions. The purpose of the diets and the purpose of these religious special days were given to help awaken a longing within people for their Redeemer. But Paul says they're shadows, but that Jesus is the substance. And when you have the substance, you don't need the shadows. Right? Like, like, like I'll give you an example. On my phone, probably like a lot of you, like, look, at here's my screensaver. That's my wife. Right? And, and so I got a lot of pictures of my kids in here. I'm just going to be honest, and my family and things like that. And, and I like to look at them, especially when I'm not with them, especially if I'm traveling and haven't seen them for some days. And I'll pull out those pictures, and, and it'll just, it's just good. It reminds me of my love for them, and I just miss them, and, and it just sort of affirms a lot of my heart for them. But it'd be really weird, right, if when I came home and they were present, that I just looked at my pictures and talked to my pictures and hugged my pictures, right, and laid it down in bed next to my pictures, right? Like, like, like not only would that be weird, for one, but, but, but it, also, it would also be me missing the whole point. Pictures are a shadow of a reality, but not the reality itself, right? And by fixating on the pictures, I would actually lose my closeness to the very people for those, who those pictures I treasure, right? The, the relationship would suffer, it, or maybe it would cease to exist. I'd have the shadow, but at the expense of the substance. The shadow is to point you to the substance, to a reality. It's a directional marker and not a destination. The shadow, it should create a longing in our heart for the Lord. So, so like the Passover feast, right? If you remember, God initiated this. And this was to help God's people remember how he saved them from death and ultimately led them out of slavery into freedom. It was a shadow, it was a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah, the true Passover lamb who would save them and set them free from sin and death by his blood. Jesus, he's the substance, that's the point. But, but in Colossae, people were missing this and so people were being judged by these other external things. And I know it's hard to imagine that such a time ever existed, right? Like, like, like wow, people judge other people? Wow, how, right? We don't know anything about that in our day, do we? Of course we do, right? Like humans are masters at judging people by external things, whether, whether they have anything to do with Jesus or, or not, right? We judge people by what they drive. We judge people by the house they live in. We judge people uh, by the food that's in their pantry, the clothes that they wear, the shows that they watch, their social media posts, right? How they vote. Let's not even talk about that, right? But, but like we judge people in all kinds of ways. And the heartbreaking thing is that this happens often in the church for the world to see. And we make these non-biblical man-made rules the measuring rod for how we determine the condition of other people's hearts. So some of you have had this experience, right, before. You've had people say to you, it's like, oh, I thought you were a Christian, right? But you fill in the blank. Oh, I thought you were a Christian, but you got those tattoos? I thought you were a Christian, but I saw you drinking that beer. I saw you have that glass of wine. I thought, I thought, you, were, I thought you followed Jesus. I, I thought you were a Christian, but I saw you. You let your kids go trick-or-treating? I thought you were a Christian. Right? I, I thought you were a Christian. You send your kids to public school? Right? I'm just trying to get in trouble, okay? You know what I'm saying? Uh, my email is neil at edgeroar.com. Anybody who would like to say anything about that, right? But, but, but whatever, right, your personal conviction, people's personal conviction, whatever their rule is, they try and make that a rule for everyone. That's called legalism. 
Okay, it's God's laws plus my laws that everyone else must follow. It's like saying, hey, God, you know, you know, you did a pretty good job making some rules. I've got some revisions. I got some thoughts. I've added a few things to your good book, first and second opinions, right? Toss that in there. Really important. You're welcome. This is what the Pharisees did. Okay, even to Jesus, they'd be like, Jesus, why don't you wash your hands? Jesus, why, why is it that your disciples don't fast? All these external things. And they think, well, he can't be God because he doesn't live like we do. He doesn't meet our standards. Right? He doesn't follow our rules. Listen, many people are threatened by grace and the freedom that grace brings because it undermines their efforts to justify themselves. That they're afraid of the freedom of grace because it undermines their own self-justification. But Paul says it's not about your rules or your performance. It's not about the shadow. It's about the substance. It's about Jesus and receiving him and what he's done and walking with him. It's about your relationship to him. Not these religious things, right? It's not legalism, it's grace. The second thing that Paul points to here is something uh, that's counterfeit is something we'll call mysticism. In verses 18 and 19, he says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows and cause, uh, as God causes it to grow. So, so, so another challenge that's happening here in the church to the exclusivity of Christ and his grace is this kind of super spirituality. Uh, people who are saying, well, if you really want to be connected to Jesus, if you're really saved, here's what you have to do. You have to have this other religious and spiritual experience. So, so it's kind of like a, a, like a you're not spiritual enough idea. And your subjective religious or spiritual experience is even greater than the objective word of God. So, so whatever people were believing about their, their experience is true, even if it disagrees with what God has said in the scripture. And I can't tell you how many people have used the phrase, well, God told me to do things that God specifically says you shouldn't do. Paul says, people who practice this are puffed up with idle notions in their unspiritual mind, meaning that ultimately, really, they're led by pride and not by faith. They're not walking by the Spirit. They're actually walking in their own flesh. They have made themselves their own authority, not Jesus. And also, let me be clear here, though, because this is not Paul diminishing the supernatural or the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Okay? We got to remember, like, this is the same guy that God showed up to as he was, like, on the road to Damascus in a blinding light and spoke audibly to him, okay? So, so this isn't Paul, like, being, like, poo-pooing on, on supernatural stuff, okay? This, this, isn't, this, Paul, this isn't Paul being like, well, God doesn't speak today and all this kind of stuff. This is Paul calling us to really know Christ and his spirit and recognize that if we simply make our experience the arbiter of truth, then how will we ever determine what is false? This is Paul guarding the church from trading doctrine for experience so that we don't give up what we know for how we feel. 
And so Paul isn't disregarding the mystical, right, or supernatural. He's just calling us to put it in its proper context. Paul's the same guy who writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, 21. He says, listen, do not put out the Spirit's fire and do not treat prophecies with contempt. That doesn't sound like a guy who's, who's down on the, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. But listen to what he says. He says, test everything. Hold on to the good, right? Test everything. Hold on to good. This is the posture for Christians. Yes, be open to all the ways the Spirit of God wants to work and minister and speak into your life, but test everything too, right? By God's word and with God's people. Don't just assume that your experience is God because just as the Holy Spirit is real and active, there are also real and active demonic spirits too that that want to deceive, that want to lead you away from the truth. So test, but don't quench. Be critical, but don't be unbelieving and cling to what you know to be right and true according to the truth of God's word. Because the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit does not ever speak something counter to the word of God. The Holy Spirit just validates it. Now, now Paul also brings up here this whole idea of angel worship, and most of us are here, I've never worshiped an angel, right? Like, like what's this all about? And, and really, this is... Um, this idea, this false teaching that was brought in where, where the understanding and idea is that, that there are actually angels higher than Jesus. And it, it's rooted in this teaching that says, well, because God is holy and pure, God can't touch anything sinful like our physical world. And so what God does is, is he sent out this, these emanations, these spirit beings from himself, each of those with a little bit less divinity than the one before it. It's kind of like those Matryoshka dolls, right? Maybe you know them as stacking dolls. You ever seen these things before, right? And so like there's a big one and then you open it, there's a smaller one and then you open it, there's a smaller one, you open it, and it's like sometimes you're like, gosh, it's still going, right? Like all the way down to this little one. That's kind of what this is like. These emanations, they have a little bit less divinity than a less power, right, than the one before them. And some of them even believe that Jesus was the final emanation. So, so, which would imply then that there are all these other spirit beings, these angels that are above Jesus. And, and so again, this isn't Paul denying the existence of angels or their work or their ministry. Only, this is Paul saying, look, there isn't anything above Jesus. Don't buy that. So, so, so Jesus is the one that we worship. We don't worship angels. We don't worship our experiences. We don't worship spiritual gifts or spiritual people, just Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that as we follow him, that the supernatural works of God will follow us. It's not us following after them. And so Paul says, church, don't let anyone disqualify you from the prize that you already have in Christ. It's already yours. It's already yours by his grace. It's not legalism and man-made rules. It's not by your subjective spiritual experience. It's Jesus. Thirdly, here's the there's a third thing Paul points to. It's something called asceticism. Okay, asceticism is essentially this idea of like self-denial. And so he says like, look, you've died with Christ, right? Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is asceticism, okay, which is simply spirituality by subtraction. 
Okay, it's minimalist spirituality. It's the thought that, that, that the body is bad and only the spirit is good. And so you have to reject any bodily good. So, so, so it's actually the more that you don't have and the more that you suffer, the more righteous and holy you are. This has been a common practice forever in religions around the world. Catholic uh, priests and nuns practice celibacy. Buddhist uh, monks only wear plain clothes, deny bodily pleasure. Hindus would deny worldly goods and comforts, right? And all of these things are done in order to achieve a higher and more holy sense of spirituality. Uh, Today in Christianity, we would call this poverty theology. Most of us have heard of prosperity theology, which is all about how how a true life and faith in God is marked by being healthy and wealthy and all this other stuff, right? Poverty theology says the opposite. It says that the less you have is the closer you are to God. And so, so if you actually really love and follow Jesus, you don't have a nice house, right? Because the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. I mean, you should probably be homeless, that, right? You, 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 shouldn't have, you shouldn't drive a nice car, right? You shouldn't ever eat, like, good food or have, like, a vintage wine or something, right? Like, like you shouldn't have jewelry. You shouldn't have possessions. You shouldn't have any savings or retirement, right? Or anything like that because what you need to do in order to grow in maturity is by suffering as much as you can. That's, what, that's what's going to get you there. And, and the problem here is this faulty thinking that, that God only matures us through hardship and suffering. It's like the only way that God grows you. So, some of us, the hardest times of our life uh, in, in terms of walking with the Lord is when we have much, not little. And so God uses much and he uses little for the sake of growing us. It's also really legalistic to think that way, isn't it? Right? Because it's still pursuing holiness through self-effort rather than accepting God's holiness that he freely gives you in Christ by faith and living that out. Paul, Paul actually calls this false humility, right? Because it's still just proud. It's still just pride. It's like, it's like being proud of your humility. You never seen that before? I, I heard this great vegetarian joke one time. Uh, I won't say it because I don't want to offend any, anybody, uh, any vegetarians. Well, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'm gonna, I'll change it. It goes like this. Um, I'll change it to be an ascetic. It's like, how can you spot an ascetic? They'll tell you about it. That's how, that's how you can spot them, right? Because you're really proud about your humility, right? You're really proud about what you're not doing and what you don't have and whatever, and you need to make sure that everybody knows how righteous and holy you are by that. Vegetarians, I love you. I'm not, like, dogging on you at all, okay? What Paul's saying here is, like, listen, you're not any more or less saved by what you have or what you don't but what you give or what you don't, because of what you suffer or you don't. And and this doesn't mean that there aren't things that God says are wrong or that God may actually ask us to give up for the sake of following him, right? Or to lay down because maybe they're dangerous, maybe they're harmful, maybe they lead us away from Christ and those are good to let go of and give up. But, But there's a whole lot of things that God has given us to enjoy. A whole lot of things. And it's okay to enjoy them, actually. He gave you those things, and we can trust that the Lord will lead us and guard us along the way. And so we don't choose to increase our suffering to be close to God. We just walk with him, even in the suffering that comes, knowing that God is good, that he loves us, that he's with us, and that God will even use our suffering for our good and his glory. Here's Paul's question in verse 20, and the one I want us to consider as we close. He he says this, he says, since you died with Christ 
to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rule? Why do you do that? He's like, look, if, you, if you're in Christ, if, if you've received him and his work for you on the cross and his grace for your sin, if you belong to him, then why do you still try to live according to the ways and the rules of the world as though you belong to it? Is it, is it to give yourself some kind of sense of spirituality or righteousness? Like these things are going to be the things that save you and, and make God pleased with you? Like consider, why do you do the things you do? Why are you here today? Why do you worship? Why do you pray? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Because the truth is that if, if our why isn't Jesus, if it isn't centered on Jesus, if it doesn't point us back to Jesus, if it isn't for the glory of Jesus, if it isn't about loving and obeying Jesus and to deepen our faith in Jesus, then it's of no real value. All it is is to gain our own sense of self-righteousness or superficial spirituality. And man-centered religion cannot save. It will not secure your salvation or enhance your spirituality or mature your faith. Paul even goes so far as to say, these things have no ability to stop the indulgence of the flesh. Which is to say this, you can actually be really, really religious or really super spiritual, however you define that, and, and remain entrenched in your sin and unchanged. Because those things cannot rescue and transform you. It's just Jesus. And Jesus actually warns us in the Gospels, right? He says, he says, don't let people think that your outside is all cleaned up when the inside is all messed up. Right? When you're rotting away on the inside, it's not about how it looks on the outside. It's about your heart. And I think if we're honest, this can be really hard for us because we live in such a performance-based culture. The disciples certainly struggled with this thing. In fact, they literally went up to Jesus, John chapter 6, verse 28. He said, they said, they say, what must we do? There's a performance word. To do, performance word. The works, performance word of God. They were like all about performance. What must we do to do the works of God? Right? And Jesus answers them in verse 29. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Jesus gave them an answer they weren't expecting, and most people in our world today do not expect. And the answer is you can't do it. That's the answer. What you do is that, that you trust the one who did. And, and you trust what he's done on your behalf, and you put all your hope and trust in him, and you follow him. That's it. That's the work. It's not trying to achieve God's righteousness for yourself by your works or your performance. It's not by your rules or, or your experience. It's not by what you have, right? It's none of these things. It's Jesus. And, and so listen, the, the mark of spiritual maturity in our faith is not by being really religious. It's not by all kinds of spiritual experiences. It's not by all the ways you get rid of things. Okay, the, the, the real mark of spiritual maturity is that you rest more and more in Christ and what he's done for you. That you lean more into what God has done on your behalf and who he says you are in him. That's maturity. 
And, and so here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to pray for us, and then I want to invite you um, to take communion this morning. Because really, I can't think of a better way for us to respond to a message like this than to center our hearts on Jesus and what he's done. And, and that's what communion reminds us of, right? That, that Jesus has freed us from the shadows and given us the substance. And all we do is receive that. And, and we walk with him. We walk with him. And, and, and so um, I'm going to pray, and then I want to invite you. you. You're welcome to come up. If you would, you can just kind of come through the middle and kind of go around so we don't all get into each other's way here. But you can take the, the bread and the cup and bring that back to your seat, and then we'll take that um, together an opportunity to just repent, to turn back to God, for us to respond with joy for what God has done on our behalf. So let's pray. God, thanks for this morning. God, thanks for your word. God, thanks for the work that you have done on our behalf. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead each and every heart today. God, that, that, that for every single person, Lord, that they would know you, that they know their, your love, that they know your truth. God, that they receive your finished work on the cross. And Lord, that we would trust in you and rest in you. God, for those places in our hearts and our lives, Lord, where we try to add to your work. God, where we try to live by our rules. Where we, where we try to, to, to make some kind of spiritual thing or some kind of uh, ascetic thing, some, some denial thing, Lord. To, we try to do these different things to sort of prove ourselves to you, God, that you just lead us in that, Lord. Give, pray for just a freedom for people, freedom for hearts, freedom in lives, God. God, thanks for being good. Thanks for being faithful. God, let your word produce a good fruit in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You're welcome to come.